1: Welcome to those who are joining us online. In, uh, in my house, we've got a running joke about something called the man touch. And what that means is if there's something wrong with some kind of piece of technology uh, that the, the girls, the females in the home are struggling with, they won't, the app won't work, the program won't work, won't turn on, or whatever it is, they, they hand it to me. And, and sometimes it's, I have to do it a little bit differently, and I, I figure out the, the problem with it. Other times, they've put it in my hand, taken it out of my hand, and it works just like that. And, and so um, you can imagine how frustrating that is for some of the female occupants of my home. They've kind of theorized that uh, likely it was men who designed the apps and the technology, and so they've kind of programmed into it that men need to be around. It's sort of like our security feature, right? It's the make sure that you're needed at all times going forward, hence the name, the the man touch, right? It's to make sure that society doesn't cast us to the edges. Now, it's a silly thing to kind of joke about, but sometimes there is a little bit of truth to all the joking that goes around. Because I, I know there are some people, some ladies out there, that imagine that world, the world would be better if we didn't need men. In fact, they are actively right now trying to develop a synthetic sperm. So really, in that case, men won't be needed at all except open jars. <laughs> now, and even that, I'm sure they'll find a way to get rid of us forever. now. I say all that um, in a a joking way, but I think we have an opportunity this morning and this morning what I want to I want to speak to you about mostly the ladies, uh, but I think it applies to all of us is, is how do we how do we support men? How do we bless and help men in this world? Uh, and again, this is going to apply to everyone, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you have sons, uh, whether you have brothers or not, young and old. The reality is all of us, we have men in our lives in some way, in some form. And so all, what hopefully we're going to see is how this applies to all men and how even men can bless and support other men. So let's pray. Father, this morning I pray particularly that my words would be words of encouragement, but to be words of hope, and that we will hear them as they are meant to be from you, instructions that are meant to bring life, life to those around us, but also even life to ourselves. In your name we pray, amen. I got I to be up front with you. I'm approaching this morning with a lot of caution, a lot of fear. When we were first planning to do the men's retreat, I, I knew right away that God wanted me to come back home for this this morning. That I was going to go, I was going to spend there Friday night, be there Saturday, but I'd come home to speak to you ladies this morning. And I thought, great God, what do you, what do you got? This incredible, uplifting message for women. And he says, no. I want you to speak to the women about men. And uh, I've never had a, a week of preparing where I've, I've thought, God, this is an important message. Can you pick someone else? <laughs> and. Um, and God said, "No, I'm I'm the one." And and but I'm nervous. I'm very nervous about it, um, because I I recognize that there's a battle going on often between the two sexes, and sometimes it's in fun, sometimes it's in jest, but sometimes it's it's a bit more serious, and and it's a battle that's played out uh, really ever since the garden, and and I think it's even become a little bit more. Uh, difficult for someone like myself as a man to speak on these issues because there's this little term called mansplaining, which makes it really risky for me to speak to a group of, of women. And, and, and so, Cheryl, I want you to understand, mansplaining is when a man explains something to a woman when she's not, he's not sure if she understands. Do, do you get it now? Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure that you understood. So I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> That was that could have gone either way that that could have been the and let's just pray moment right there. But um, but in all seriousness, though, there is an anxiety, I feel, because I know, generally speaking, that men have been the source of of the greatest hurts in the lives of women. And I I say that from the, the countless hours of experience I've had in counseling women, but even counseling men or being on retreats. I've, I've had the luxury of being on both men's retreats, but also been invited to participate in women's retreats. And, and the consistent thing I hear over and over again from men is the guilt they feel from the damage they've caused to women, and from women, the hurt they've experienced as a result. And, and so I, I get it. Whether it's been your fathers or boyfriends or husbands or strangers, men have been the source of so much abuse whether it be sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, the trauma caused by men in your lives has has left deep scars, scars that may be be permanent in some form. But but I want you to understand that the problem, despite what our media is saying, the problem in our world is not toxic masculinity. That's that's not what's happening. We we live in a world today where where currency and power is, is given to you based on your level of victimhood. So the greater the victim you are, the more power is given to you. And so there's, there's power in being a victim. But in order to be a victim, there has to be an oppressor. There has to be someone causing all this pain. And one of the chief villains in this, that plays this role that, that fix, fills the, the, the role of the oppressor is that of the patriarchy, which basically is tracing it back to men. And, and I heard one lady talk about that and says, you know, we're not saying that men are all, all, all men are the problem. We're just saying the problem is named after men, which is, I'm not sure, makes any difference. But that's often what's, what's, what's implied, is that the patriarchy is the problem. And, and I mean, look at the stats. I mean, 90% of all inmates are men. So clearly, they're the aggressive sex. They're the one that caused the most pain. Uh, clearly, men control the most wealth. Which, by the way, I discovered this week is not true. Since 2015, the Bank of Montreal, their experts have said that more women control wealth. But nonetheless, that's the idea that most men control the wealth. But most men are CEOs. Most men are members of parliament or presidents or prime ministers. And so they have all the control and the power. And most wars are the result of men. So clearly, men are the problem. All the problems can be traced back to a man eventually. Amen. (laughs) Those are the stats, but <laughs> I appreciate it. No, no, keep it coming. It's helping me. It's helping me. I'm telling you. But the reality, the reality though, that the problems that we face is, is a lack of masculinity, not a toxic masculinity. I found this really great article um, on a website called um, Real Women of Canada, and it's called The Curse of Fatherlessness. And listen to what this one lady writes. She writes, the mass shootings in the US have dumbfounded its citizens. Americans have owned semi-automatic weapons for over 100 years, but only in recent years have school shootings become a phenomenon. What is the common thread in all these shootings? Well, six out of the seven deadliest shootings that occurred in the US between 2005 and 2015 were committed by men who grew up in fatherless homes. Even the study of older male shooters, like Stephen Paddock of the Las Vegas Massacre, indicates that they grew up in fatherless homes. A boy's relationship with his father has profound effect on his identity. Many of the school shooters struggled with a sense of damaged masculinity and sought to become ultra-masculine by obtaining a gun which they believe gave them power. This conclusion on mass shootings has been established by much research and refuted by none. The consequences of fatherless, fatherlessness is simply staggering. U.S. statistics on the effects of not having a father in your home include the following. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father in the home. 90% of all runaways or homeless teens are from fatherless homes. There's an epidemic in some ways of this fatherlessness that's happening in our society. Back in, in 1950, I think 5%, less than 5%, I think 4.7% of all children were born outside of wedlock, which means over 95% were born to parents, to a mother and a father. Fast forward to today, and that number is, is around 40%. 40%. Over a third of kids are growing up today without a father. And that has repercussions. That has huge implications. And because these young boys are growing up not knowing what it means to be a man and not not have that. So it's not toxic masculinity that's our problem. It's the lack of masculinity. Because see, if, if patriarchy would be the problem, then the absence of men would solve that problem. But what we see is is the absence of men causes problems. Just this last week I was I was in a really fine establishment I'm not going to say what it was but I was enjoying my big mac. <laughs> and I'm sitting at at a it was a table it was a, one of those long tables so it wasn't divided up it was just a long table and and uh, and five teenage boys sat almost right beside me. And and they would have been probably about 16 17 years old and they're they're just teenage boys, right? They're loud, they're joking, they're having lots of fun. The challenge is, the, who could tell the best joke, right? So they're just making everyone laugh. And all of a sudden, we hear a commotion at the counter where a lady is complaining and yelling, swearing at the, the lady behind the counter about how there's cheese on her hamburger and she ordered it without cheese, and how dare this happen, and she's angry. And so she's yelling at this lady, and these five teenage boys start to say, hey, lady, calm down. Everyone makes a mistake. And one did it, and then another one did it. And, and now it was like, who could tell the best joke about it? And so now they're getting, getting a little louder with it, and their language is a little salty. And, and, and their instincts are right, because they're trying to defend the lady behind the counter. She made a mistake. She owned the mistake. You don't have to rip into her. But now they're starting to rip into her. And so I said to the guys, I said, guys, you've made your point. It's a good point, a valid point. But you made your point. Let it go, because there's five of you and one of her. And they're like, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. See, all they needed in that moment, they had the right instincts, but they're kids. They need to understand that there's a point where you need to stop. And having a male to say, hey, guys, you've, done, you've made your point, allowed them to back off. And that's what we're missing in this world. So it's not, not toxic masculinity, but the lack of it. And I think that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, he says, act like men. That's what we need. But that's not the message we hear. We're, we're told not to act like men. We're told that men are the problem. And that you need to start to be less of a man. Again, in my kind of studying this out this week, I came across a video. It was of the Oprah show. Don't hold that against me, okay? But but it was an Oprah show about fatherlessness. And, and they're beginning the segment with a, a bit of a, a featurette of a of a young boy who grew up who never had a father. And so he he grows up and eventually he meets his father and he walks up to him shakes his hand and says, I'm your son. And the father just bolts and walks away. And that's how kind of the feature ends to introduce a segment. And then that young man stands up in the audience and everyone applauds. Everyone's excited about you know, honoring him for what he's done and the, the courage to share his story when another man in the audience gets up and walks over and gives him a hug. And it was Oprah and another lady that were the the she was the guest up on the stage. And she looked and says, I wanted I wanted to to go over and give him a hug and bury his face in my bosom. Her words, not mine. But then she said, but I'm so glad another man did it because that's what he needed. He needed a male mother. I said, no, 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 no. He does not need a male mother. He needs a father. And there's a difference between those two. And so that's, again, it's not taking men away. We need more men. Because what we really need is we need strong men. Strong men are not a threat. Weak men are. See, strong men empower strong women. And strong women empower strong men. But weak men need weak women. And weak women need weak men. And so we need, we need to strengthen, encourage one another because it's not a zero-sum game. It's not if one, one sex gets stronger, the other has to get weaker. That's not how it works. We can encourage and support and lift each other up. And see, when you have strong men and you have strong women, that creates strong families, that creates a strong society. And now we have an incredible opportunity to share the strength and the life of Jesus Christ to the community at large. Because we need strong men and strong women. And so we all get to play a part in this. And specifically this morning, I want to look at how we can help strengthen men, how we can support men. So there's kind of three things that we're going to look at. And the first thing I want you to see is that what men need is they need respect more than they need love. It's really important. Because, see, men and women are different. And for women, they need to be loved. They need to be cherished. That doesn't mean they don't need respect. It's just that when they are loved and when they're cherished, they're also respected. It comes down the line. It comes later. But for men, the first thing they need is they need to be respected. Think about it this way, Chuck. If Imagine you're at your job and your boss pulls you into his office and he says, Chuck, I want you to know I really love you. How do you feel in that moment? You're wondering maybe where HR is, right? You're thinking, this is a little weird here. Yeah, it's more trouble. It is HR, right? But if they said to you, Chuck, I really respect you and the work you're doing, now you're asking for a raise, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we need. See, I think, of, I think of the military. I think the military is the most masculine institution that we have around. That's not to say women don't belong in the military. I'm just saying it is a masculine institution. And the whole thing operates, lives and dies off of respect. That a guy with an extra chevron, you know, a broken triangle basically, can order another man to death, and he'll do it simply because he respects the chain of command. It's respect, and that's what men need. But what's interesting, every Valentine's Day, you go find the, 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 the cards. And you see all these great cards to wives. Wife, I love you. Wife, I love you, which is wonderful and good. But then when it comes to the husbands, what do you see? Husbands, I love you. Husbands, I love you. And we're again, we're treating men like we would treat women. That's not again, it's not to say that men don't need love. It's they need to be respected because when they're respected, when they're shown value when they're shown worth, then they are loved. It comes together. And so that's, that's what we need to do. Hence the reason when, when God's giving instructions to husbands and wives, he says, husbands love your wives, but wives see to it that you respect your husbands. And so that's what they need. Now, here's, here's the reaction I get from, all, from a lot of people, though, is that I would if he deserved it. Because respect must be earned. Well, let me ask you this. Ladies, do you want to earn your love? Do you want to deserve the love? Do you want to work for it and achieve a certain level of standards and expectations? And then as a reward, your husband will love you. But if you fail, then he's right to not love you and reject you. Is that what you want? Of course not. Because you will die in that system. You will be strangled in that system because that's a system of law. That's a system of trying to measure up what you'll never be good enough. And the law, as we've seen, only produces death and condemnation. Well, in the same way that you as a woman need unconditional love, men need unconditional respect. Problem is we don't use those two words together. We've never, that concept of unconditional respect is, is so foreign to us, and yet that's exactly what men need. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, because that's how God's wired them in the same way he's wired women to need love unconditionally. Because if men have to measure up and prove that, that they've reached that level, it'll never be enough. I remember one time meeting with a, a couple and, uh, and, and the, the wife was explaining to me how, um, that her husband wasn't really the head in the home and she didn't really need to respect him as the head because her dad was really the head. And I said, well, wait, well, hold on. You know, for this reason, a man should leave his mother and father and, and the two shall become one, right? The leave and cleave principle. And her answer was, well, not really. It says that about the man, not the daughter. And I thought, okay, that's trouble. And she said, well, the other reason, though, is he's a newer Christian than I am. And so he's not as mature yet. And so when he's mature, then I'll trust him as the head. Well, who gets to decide when the the husband's mature enough? And so she's basically always going to be a little bit above him, never really showing him that respect. He's always going to be chasing it, and it's never going to be enough. And one day he's going to wake up, and he's going to be fed up with it. Because that message of you're not good enough, you're, you're not measuring up, will eventually kill his soul. And so it's not about earning or deserving. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, "In you same wives, same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Please understand, submiss- submissive is not a weak word. The word submit here is hupotasso. It means to place yourself under another to submit yourself under. That's what we see in the military, where where a private will submit to his superiors. And so this idea here is to place yourself under. Do you understand that only strong people can do that? It doesn't say be defeated by your husbands. It says you wives willingly submit yourself under them to your husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, not just when they're right, not just when they make good choices, but even when they're disobedient to the word so that they may, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I want you to see that, that, that respect that they need has to be unconditional. And what's amazing though is when they begin to experience that, when they begin to, to see that unconditional love and respect, it will bring the man out of them. It will will motivate within them this incredible desire to show to you what you see in them. So that leads us to the next thing. I think what men need is they need encouragement, not contention. It's it's so common to find women just run their men down, both in private and in public. And some of it's funny jokes, and you're poking at each other, and and there's an innocence to it, and that's okay. But I'm I'm talking about the stuff that's got some, some teeth to it the thing that's got a bite to it, those those words that cut deep. And I want you to understand the damage that that causes. In Proverbs, I'm gonna read three Proverbs to you. In 21.9, it says, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to be crouched up in the corner of a roof than live with someone who's just running you down that way. Or in 21.19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And then in 2715, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. I, I know women hate this word nag. I, I hear, it, don't call me a nag. That's like the greatest slur and insult. And I understand that. I'm not talking about the nagging where it's like, oh, can you take out the garbage? Can you take out the garbage? Can you take out the garbage? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the, that, that constant critical attitude where you're always pointing out that they're not enough, they're not measuring up, they're failing over and over and over again. Because that that knowledge, that constant blow that they're failing is a devastating blow. Because they already feel it deep within themselves. They felt that before they met you. And to hear it over and over again from you only confirms their greatest fears. John Eldridge wrote a great book. It's called Wild at Heart. It's about rediscovering the the masculine soul. It's a book I want to try and read once a year because there's just so much wisdom and knowledge and truth in that book. And and I actually encourage women to read it so you can understand your men. But he writes this about, about men. He says, this is why so many men secretly fear their wives. She sees him as no one else does. Sleeps with him, knows what he's made of. If he has given her the power to validate him as a man, then he's also given her the power to invalidate him too. And that's a deadly catch. A pastor told me that for years, he's been trying to please his wife and she keeps giving him an F. What if she's not the report card on you, I suggested? She sure feels like it and I'm failing. See, men need that encouragement. Now, in this case, they're wrong to look to you to be the source of that encouragement, but you're the vessel of that encouragement. And they need that that support because they're struggling themselves. That's why so many little boys, what do they say when they're on the park, the playground, and they're about to do something really stupid, I mean, crazy. What do they say? Look, mom, look what I'm about to do. Notice me. And then they do it, and then what do they want? Wow. Wow. That's amazing. They want that praise. They want that encouragement because they want to be seen. They want to be known. They need to hear it. Joyce does this really well. She often tells me that she respects me, that she admires me, thanks me for what I'm doing as a husband and as a father. And that means so much to me because there's so many things that could go easily go unnoticed. And the enemy could begin to whisper that I'm just not. No one cares. No one notices what I'm doing. It's all pointless. I've heard some women respond to that and they, they complain. They say, "What? Great, you've done that. You've you've done your job. Do you want a cookie?" And my answer is, "Maybe." <laughs> maybe. May, may, maybe some may, maybe some ice cream, maybe a beer, maybe some uh, some chips would be nice, right? Maybe that's what they need. So you that, that comment says that they don't actually need that encouragement, and you're withholding that encouragement. You're withholding that respect. Well, that's as foolish as when we hear about men that, that say this about their wives. Honey, I told you that I love you on the wedding day, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. I had a guy actually say that to me once. I thought that was just a rumor. Something pastors make up, but, but I had a guy actually say that to me. And that's the same level of foolishness as the wife who says, I'm not going to acknowledge what you've done. I'm not going to thank you for what you've done. You see, this world is cruel. It's brutal out there. You go to work and you, you work your tail off and you, you come home and you, and you got beat up at work. Told you you weren't, weren't doing enough, and things aren't going great, and other people got promoted, and you got ignored. And so you, then you got the voice of, of the flesh in your head, reminding about all the shame, and all the inadequacy, and the failure you are. So you come home, and you're dragging your feet. and You come home to more criticism. That's not to say that you don't, at times, speak out. There's, not t- there's often times say, hey, this needs to happen, or hey, I'm concerned about this. For sure. But don't let that be the only thing that's said. We need far more encouragement. And it's amazing when I see, when I see men being encouraged, it breaks my heart because they're overwhelmed by it. And that moment, what they want, they just want to run and hide. We had a, we had a moment this weekend where there's an opportunity to encourage someone, and I could see him. he was looking for the exit. There was a moment there was a glass window behind and he was kind of half joking. He was just going to run right through it because it's so unfamiliar. So we need to become more accustomed to it, to offer that that protection. Because you see, with, with those words of encouragement, that's our opportunity to fight for these men because they may seem strong on the outside, but they are struggling on the inside. And so that's the third thing they need. They need grace and understanding. They're going to fail a lot, repeatedly, often. Do you get the point? (laughs) And and they're not going to be nearly as mature as you hoped they would be. And, And I mean mature in terms of their faith in Jesus and their trust in Jesus. They're going to make poor choices. They're going to continue to have deep struggles. Struggles that if we're only limited to themselves, it may not be so bad. But as we've seen, when a, when a father struggles, when a man struggles, it has huge repercussions to the world around them. Remember these statistics. 85% of all youth in prison came from fatherless homes. I had friends that were, they were working in a youth home, looking after young men and young, young women uh, who, who ran away or were kicked out of home, and they said every one of them had issues with their dad. Again, 63% of all youth suicides are fatherless homes, 71% of pre- pregnant teenagers lack a father, and 90% of all runaways and homeless teens are fatherless. But you see, today's men are really just the product of yesterday's men. Right? They didn't just show up this way. They grew up in a world where they were missing their father. The Apostle Paul, so Paul made it, makes this incredible statement in his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 4, verse 15, he says, you have many teachers. You have many people who are, are teaching to you. And that's, that's true today, right? I mean, I don't know if we've ever lived in a time, in a world where we've had as many teachers and access to good teachers out there. You can, you can listen to podcasts. You can watch YouTube videos. You can, you can read books. There's so many great teachers out there. He says, Paul says, you have many teachers. Good teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And I read that today and I think, how much more true is that today than it was in Paul's day? We don't have many fathers. And you see, the, the stats would say that it's, it's better to have a father around than not have a father at all. I remember when Joy was pregnant with Hannah. I, I was terrified. I, I, the, the reality sinks in that, that you are going to be responsible for another human being. And then we found out Hannah was a girl. I was now more ter- mortified. I mean, boys is like, I, I think you just toss them, right? You just do this, right? You, you wrestle with them, punch them a little bit, you know, tiger, and it's good, right? And that's, I, I figured I got a shot with a boy at least, but a girl, I was terrified because it's so overwhelming. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, I know I've got the word of God. And God's given us all kinds of great examples to, to look at and follow, right? Like when you're in a battle, what, what did David do? How did David face down Goliath? Well, he trusted God. Oh, okay. So I just, I just need to find a great example of this in scriptures of a father. And that will be kind of the, the template for me to look at. So I started flipping through the stories of the Bible. I could not find an example of a good father. I mean, think about David. David totally blew it when his daughter was raped by one of his sons. Jacob played favorites. Some fathers just were absent. There wasn't an example of a good father in scripture. When I ask men, I ask them about their father growing up. I'll ask them, so how did, how did he show love to you? Did he, did he talk to you about girls, uh, about puberty and, and changing? Did, did he teach you how to shave? Did he, did he sit you down and, and talk to you about what a man is? Oh, no, 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 no. The, some, some guys say to me, it was, uh, it was like the day before my wedding. My dad took me out for a coffee and he got really weird and awkward and I looked at him, he looked at me and we just said, you know what? That's enough, we're good, thank you. And that was the, the talk. So I'll press him a little bit further. So how, how do he you know he loved you? Well, he, he provided for us financially. He worked. Always made sure we had clothes on our back and, and food on the table. And I said, well, is that what you do as a dad? you just make sure that that's what's there? Oh, no. No, I need so much. I do so much more for my kids. I try to. Well, why do you think that is? Do you think maybe you lacked and missed it growing up yourself? Yeah. See, most men today don't know how to be men because they were never taught to be men. And so they don't know if they're man enough. They don't know if they're good enough. Again, listen to John Eldridge. He puts it so, puts it so good. See, so he talks about the, the, the question that haunts every man is do I have what it takes? Am I man enough? Am I good enough husband? Am I man enough to be a good enough father? To be a good enough friend? That's the question every guy's struggling with. And so John Eldridge, he writes this. He says, first and foremost, we still need to know what we never heard or heard so badly from our fathers. We need to know who we are And if we have what it takes, what what do we do now with that ultimate question? Where do we go to find an answer? In order to help you find the answer to the question, let me ask you another. What have you done with your question? Where have you taken it? You see, a man's core question does not go away. He may try for years to shove it out of his awareness and just get on with life, but it does not go away. It is a hunger so essential to our souls that it will compel us to find a resolution. In truth, it drives everything we do. I spent a few days this fall with a very successful man I'll call Peter. He was hosting me for a conference on the East Coast. When Peter picked me up at the airport, he was driving a new Land Rover with all the bells and whistles. Nice car, I thought. This guy is doing well. The next day, we drove around in his BMW 850 CSI. Just so you dollars eight fifty, super high expensive. Peter lived in the largest house in town. Had a vacation home in Portugal. None of his wealth was inherited. He worked for every dime. He loved Formula One racing and fly fishing for a salmon in Nova Scotia. I genuinely liked him. Now there's a man, I said to myself, and yet something was missing. You would think a guy like this would be confident, self-assured, centered. And of course, he seemed like that at first. But as we spent time together, I found him to be hesitant. He had all the appearance of masculinity, but none of it felt like it was coming from a true center. After several hours of conversation, he admitted he was coming to revelation. I lost my father earlier this year to cancer, but I didn't cry when he died. See, we were, we were never really close. Ah, yes. I knew it was coming next. All those years, knocking myself out to get ahead, I wasn't even enjoying myself. What was it for? I see now. I was trying to win my father's approval. Long, sad silence. Then Peter said quietly through tears, it never worked. Of course not. It never does. No matter how much you make, no matter how far you go in life, that will never heal your wound or tell you who you are. But oh, how many men buy into this one. After years of trying to succeed in the world's eyes, a friend still clings stubbornly to the idea. Sitting in my office, bleeding from all his wounds, he says to me, who's the real stud? The guy making money. You understand, he's not making much so we can still chase the illusion. Men take their souls, search for validation in all sorts of directions. Men are so full of, sh- of, of shame, of fear of being found out that you're gonna discover how weak and inadequate they, they believe themselves to be. They need a grace and an understanding. I found this statistic startling three-quarters of all suicides are by men. What would drive them to that place? For some, for some, they believe that they're just such a failure and they just want to escape the pain, want to escape the shame and the misery of it all. But you know, a lot of men, a lot of men have come to the conclusion that their family would be better off if they were dead. It's not true. But inside, they're struggling. Inside, they're so full of shame and inadequacy. So be patient with your men. Show them grace. Show them understanding. As our, our father, God, is the one that fathers them. And that's a good word for you and I. That God is the one that does the fathering. It's not your job. It's not my job. It's God's job. See, many men, they've they've made the mistake, they've turned to the the, the women in their lives, be it their mom or now their wives, and and you're gonna be the one to determine whether I'm man enough. And here's the problem. Femininity can never bestow masculinity. Only other men can. That's why that fatherlessness is, is so important. To say to that little boy, you know what? I see the man in you. I'm proud of you. And, and have other men bestow that masculinity on, on those boys. It's so critical. Only other men can do that. But femininity, while it can't bestow masculinity, it will either empower, it will either, either encourage it, or it will destroy it. Ladies, I don't know how to say it any more plainly. You will always have an influence on the men in your life. You get to decide whether it's positive or negative. If you run them down, they'll be negative, and we will all pay the price for it. But if you encourage and you support and you respect and you offer grace and patience and understanding even when they fail, you will see these men rise up. I'm not asking you to treat them like children, most certainly not asking you to treat them like dogs, just treat them like men. And when they know that, when they see that respect coming from you, they will run through a wall for you. Now, obviously, there's that caveat that, that not all men are good men, that there are some really, really, really bad and evil men out there. And that's not what we're asking for, is for you to, to turn yourselves over to them. We're told to be as wise as a serpent, and as innocent as a dove. But when I, when I think about the men in our assembly and our fellowship here, most of, the, most of the men in your life, they don't fit that category. Most of the men that we deal with are good men that are struggling, good men that still have shame and insecurity and a sense of not measuring up. And What an opportunity we have to defend them and fight for them. Let me close with one final word, and it's, it's for all the single moms out there. Because whenever I talk about the importance of fatherlessness, I hear the groan of every single mom. And I say, great. I'm screwed. What can I do? And when I share these statistics, I want you to know these statistics, they're a warning, but they're not a judgment. We're not saying this is what's going to happen. We're saying this can happen. But you have a good word, just like God the Father is the one who's fathering me. God the Father will father you and your kids. Psalm 68, 5, and there are many verses like it. God promises to be a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. He's got a special special place in his heart for orphans and widows. And so he will do that. We just need to let him do it and trust him to do that. And what's great is God will often use other men. Other men in the, in the lives of, of these little kids, and I've, I've seen it. I've seen men like Alan and Peter and Marco show that, play that role to these young, young boys and young girls who don't have fathers. And it's so exciting to see. So God will look after your kids if you're a single mom. Please know that. There's great hope. There's always hope in Jesus. But what we can do, though, is we can further encourage those men to be men. Because strong men are good men. Let's pray, Father. You are a father to us. You are the evidence of the importance of a father. And I pray, Father, that we would We would hear what you're saying to us this morning as words of hope and encouragement to know that you in us will supply the respect and the words of praise and words of encouragement that these men in our lives need. And we could trust you even when they don't deserve it. And that Jesus, you you would even show us how you see these men not how we see them based on their failures, based on them giving into the flesh, but how you see the new creation that they are and that we would, we would call out to that new creation. And I pray, Father, that, that strong men would rise up, empower strong women, and that this community would be strong and first and foremost in our faith in you. In your name we pray, amen.